0: Well, hello, new life, Manitou Springs. The air is crisp did you did anyone else see a little bit of snow on Pike 's Peak this morning? Beautiful. The fall is here. I have for you a sermon today that uh, I pray it will be a good sermon, but the topic is uh it's it 's a little heavy it 's a little weighty today we 're going to talk about what happens. What should we do when people oppose us? like what should we do with our enemies like whether they 're just people that oppose us in life, or maybe you've had experiences where just you being a Christian, people come up to you and say, hey, I don't like you very much. And you want to say to them, well, hey, guess what? I don't like you very much either. And we have these experiences in life, and, and the, the, the subject matter is a little weighty today. I'm going to go kind of in and out of some jokes, uh, make it light. But really, we're, we're going to talk about, well, what happens When people oppose us, what happens when enemies do us wrong or plan to do us wrong? What should our reaction be as Christians? I think there's this attitude sometimes that, oh, you know, we should just be happy all the time as Christians, and we should just sweep under the rug. We should just ignore anything or anyone that's against us. We should just, you know, just everything should be raindrops on roses, and everything should just be awesome, like in the Lego movie. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And, and we, I think we would all, this congregation, I think we've lived with each other. We know each other well enough. We know some life stories going on around here to say, no, everything isn't awesome. And what should we do when we have people in our lives that actually want to do us harm? Well, I'm going to give us today, this sermon is going to be a classic three-point sermon. I'm going to give us three tools of what to do with people that oppose us, enemies that want to do us in, in this life. And um, it's going to be over kind of the overarching theme. In fact, the title of this sermon, we'll put it up here if, if you're taking notes. Uh, I think it's, it's great if you take notes either on your phone or with paper to think about these things. These are not just tips from the internet about how to interact with opposition. These, this is going to be hopefully wisdom and knowledge from the Word of God about some pretty big important things in life. The title today is To Trust in God and His Plan in the Midst of Opposition. So, we're going to look at the story of Nehemiah. We're in this book called Nehemiah. We're going through it as a series. It is a book, if you're turning there in scripture, you can turn to the book of Nehemiah about halfway through the Old Testament. We will put the verses on the screens as well. But would you stand with me as we read about Nehemiah and his opposition? I think one of the reasons why Nehemiah is just such a it's a book that sticks with us. It's a book that, that we, we can engage with is because it's got some, uh, some lessons here that transcend time. And one of those lessons is what happens when people oppose you. So Nehemiah chapter four, starting in verse one. Nehemiah chapter four, verse one says, when Sanballat, we're going to hear his name a lot today, kind of the ringleader of opposition against Nehemiah. When Sanballat heard that we were building the wall in Jerusalem, he was very angry and upset. He started making fun of the Jews. Verse 2 says, Sanballat talked with his friends and the army at Samaria and said, What are these weak Jews doing? Do do they think that we will leave them alone? Do they think that they will offer sacrifices? Maybe they think they can finish this building in only one day. They cannot bring stones back to life from these piles of trash and dirt. These are just piles of ashes and dirt. And then Tobiah, verse 3 says, Tobiah the Ammonite, you'll hear his name too. He's not the ringleader, but one of the cronies of Sambalot. Verse 3 says, Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side, says, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stone. And then hear the response of the people of Nehemiah. This is their prayer. Verse four, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in land of captivity. Verse 5, do not cover up the guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuild the wall till all of it reached half of its height. The people worked with all of their heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ is in our midst. Let's pray. God, we we come before you today um, considering your word and what you have to show us about how to interact with people who oppose us, how to interact when people um, want to do us in, want to do us, do harm to us. What do we do when people insult us? We're gonna be looking at that. Lord, would you be with us? Would you give us your strength to do your will? Lord, that's what we pray this morning, that you would be glorified even in the midst of a hard circumstance. So, Lord, we pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people at Manitou, shouted. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Point number one is in opposition. Someone's opposing you. Someone wants to do you in. Someone, you would say, man, they're just, they're just messing with me. They're, they're, they don't like me. They're, you know, this is a hard relationship. Point number one is, well, maybe opposition, it should provide a chance to evaluate. Maybe we should consider, like, these, these people that we thought were friends, they're now opposing us, and each one of them is kind of saying the same thing. Maybe, just for a minute, we should take a chance, take a, a moment, and say, maybe we should evaluate the situation, maybe we should even evaluate ourselves like what's going on maybe it's something in my life that needs correction maybe all these people that i'm blaming you know i'm saying they're you know they're hurting me they're doing this they're doing this well maybe the problem is actually with something i'm doing maybe there is something that needs to be corrected in my life think about who's opposing you right now. I mean, I think if we went around, um, different people would say different situations or or circumstances or people. And today we're really just concentrating on individuals, people that are against us or opposing us or or just don't like us very much. What do we do with that? Well, I would say, well, the first thing is to look inside, especially if these people are friends that were trusted. Maybe if they have a place in your life, like a parent uh, a teacher, a boss, a spouse, someone who is close to you, and they are now coming against you in opposition. Maybe that is something you should look internally and wonder like maybe I have need of correction in my own life. A friend comes up to you and says, Hey you really you know you should you really lost your temper there this This is not good and so instead of just adding them to the list, well, now you 're against me too. well, maybe there's something there, maybe they're actually trying to help. Maybe a boss is micromanaging you, breathing down your neck all the time. Well maybe that's because you've you've messed up, you haven't made some some goals, you haven't done it correctly, and they're there actually with love to try to help you and the situation and they're seeing a bigger picture. Anybody ever in elementary school get in trouble for running in the halls? Be honest. Just a couple, I was always, I was always looking around. Okay, there's no teachers. And I was just always running everywhere. I had places to be, had to go eat lunch, had to play outside, had to get to the playground, things I had to be to. And so I I didn't understand the big deal with running in the hallways. But it seemed like I always had this one teacher who was always like, had it out for me, opposing me, an enemy in my life, who would always catch me running in the hall. And she would always have me, guess what she had me do? she had me stop. And then guess what I have to do? Go back. I'd have to go all the way back and re-walk what I had just run in order to keep walking and get to my place. And now, like as a kid, I just thought, why does this teacher want to crush me? They're, they're just, I have places to be. Don't, doesn't anybody know this? And as an adult now, I look back and be like, man, this, this teacher... She actually cared about me. She wanted my safety. And every kid everywhere was always running in the hall, to be bumping each other and getting hurt. And I just thought, here's this teacher. I think about being in the teacher's, you know, the shoes for just a minute. And here she is, like having to wait for this kid to go back and walk, and she has to like watch this take place. I mean, that's time out of her day. She actually, now that I'm an adult, I could look back and be like. This woman actually, you know, she cared about me. She wanted what was best for the school. She was trying to be, make it a safe place. So, point number one is evaluate what's going on, the situation. Maybe there is something in you that needs to be corrected. And if there is not, we find in the book of Nehemiah, like these guys that are opposed to Nehemiah. They're not good guys. So now we're, okay, after you've evaluated the situation and you really think with, with prayer and thought, and maybe you in, in bring in some other people into your life, and, and it's just kind of in agreement like, no, these people are actually enemies. These people are bad people. These people are selfish or horrible or self loving. They're greedy. They're self seeking. There's people in this world that. that want it out for you, like do not want your best. They could be considered enemies like the people that we find in the story of Nehemiah. Sambalot. if we look at uh, a little before this story of the opposition and them you know bringing up if, if, a wall, if a fox was to get on the wall, then the whole thing would collapse this insult before that, we look at Nehemiah chapter two, verse ten, we have the introduction of this character named Sambalot, the ring leader who 's against Nehemiah, when Sambalot the Horonite, Tobiah, the ammonite, these are different tribes of the surrounding people of israel um, they're, they're people that um, they hear about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So they're just truly against the Israelites. They're against their well-being. They're anti-Semitic. They're racist. I don't know the full story here and the full context, but here's some bad people out for Nehemiah. He's trying to carry out God's vision, God's call upon his life to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He's trying to bring order and welfare and stability. And here he has legitimate enemies at his, you know, at the walls, either making fun of him or actually wanting to kill him. If we fast forward in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 6 2, here's the same guy again. Sambalot and Geshem, here it is, uh, sent me this message Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. If you look at chapter 6 of Nehemiah, there's messages going back and forth from Sambalot to Nehemiah trying to get him to come out alone to this plain of Ono so that they could kill him, potentially. They wanted him dead. So if you're ever called to the plain of Ono, don't go. My wife and I, well, I wrote a little poem yesterday. Had my wife look at it? She, she, she. Uh, we we wrote a poem called "Don't Go to Oh No." <laughs> oh, the places you won't go if you go to Oh No. We know that if you go to Oh No, it's an Oh No. So don't go to Oh No. No No to Oh No. If someone says, "Come now, let's go to Oh No," tell them, you know, I can't go to Oh No. If you go low to the plains of Oh No, your last uh oh will be an Oh No trying to make light. It's, it's about to get pretty serious in here. So I thought, we'll bring a little poem into the... Thank you. Thank you very much. A poem by me and my wife, Erica. Thank you. Um, <laughs> this character, Sam, a lot. Like, it, it, they, at one point, at this point here in the Plains of Ono, they want, he wants to bring Nehemiah out to harm him, to kill him. But there's also like this mockery going on. I wonder if this relationship between Nehemiah and Sambalot was something like uh, the old sitcom, Jerry Seinfeld. Seinfeld, And Jerry, there was this weird relationship between Jerry and Newman, who also lived in his building, and they were like nemesis. And whenever Jerry would see Newman, he'd say... Hello, Newman. And then Newman would say... Hello, Jerry. And there was just this bickering, weird, mocking, I mean, on a comedy perspective, fun to look in at. But I wonder if the relationship between Nehemiah and Sambalot was something like that. Hello, Nehemiah. Hello, Sambalot. And then we have this scene where they like throw insults. Like here, here we are, Nehemiah chapter four. This is what we already read. I'm gonna reread it. It's actually Tobiah here, the Ammonite, was with Sambalot. And he says, uh, what do these Jews think they're doing? And then he throws out this diss. Like in my, remember in, in, back in my day, we called it a diss. Do you call it that anymore? Like, ooh, he just dissed you. Like an, it's an insult. It's a, it's a roast. So he tries to insult the wall and the builders and Nehemiah. And he says, if even a small fox jumped up on it, it would break down the walls of stone which has to be like the worst insult anyone... It just sounds like if a a fox was to climb up, then the whole thing would fall down. What? Like that's the worst insult. It doesn't even make any sense. All Nehemiah would have to say back to Sambalot is the phrase, well, what does the fox say? (laughs) <laughs> and then he wouldn't be have an answer, and then it, it just it's just a bizarre there has to be more here i 'm thinking there has to be more here in the Hebrew, some sort of idiom that we 're not getting because they take it, they truly take it as an insult. and so here we are, still on point one, if you have an enemy like, like a, like a Sambalot in your life in your life, who really has it out for you, who is in opposition against you. What are you to do with that? I'll take things a little serious now, um, and, and say that towards the end of this sermon, I'm actually going to share a pretty horrible story uh, of someone who is uh, just uh, like a serial abuser, and it's it's gonna I'm gonna tell you a, a story that comes from. Maybe some of you know this story: the Olympic uh, gymnast doctor a few years ago. That big scandal that came out, and uh, there was a response to that 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 I'll bring up in just a minute. But I bring this up and, and and say, well, you know, some of you are, you know, we can kind of jokingly mock about roasting and insults here, but some of you either have had someone in your life who has done something pretty horrible. Or, or have someone in your life now, a situation which is just really overwhelming. Like you, go to, you can't sleep at night thinking you have this person in your life who wants bad things to happen to you. And so what should we do with that? Point two is this. Well, we give our opposition, we give the situation, we give that person over to God. And here's what I mean by that. So there's this insult thing that I kind of made fun of. There's something here that I don't get, some idiom about the fox and the stones uh, that, that, that it was really hurtful to Nehemiah and the people building the wall because they take it right up to the Lord. They, right after this insult, Nehemiah chapter four, verse four, it says that their response to, to the situation of being insulted. They go right to God. They say, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads, give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. They have thrown insults in the face of the builders and so what what, what do we do with these circumstances? These people well, first and foremost we we recognize that 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 they're opposing us, and we, we kind of evaluate the situation and then point two is we give them over. To the Lord. We um, don't just blur past, we don't just bury this situation, we, we give it over to the Lord in all uh, its, its messiness. I think of um, there's, there's a lot of Psalms in the Bible. Does anyone know how many Psalms there are? 150, good job. And out of these Psalms, if you're not familiar with the book of Psalms, you're probably just familiar with the nice ones. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Psalm 150, sing and praise to the Lord. Uh, There's just wonderful psalms, and you might think Because those are the Psalms you're familiar with, that the whole book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, the largest book in our Bible, is just all hallelujah, praise the Lord, he's awesome, he's good, everything's good, everything's great, raindrops and roses and everything is awesome. That's what you might think the book of Psalms is. But if you've ever gone and actually read through the Psalms, which I would encourage you to do. If anybody in here is like, I would love for my prayer life to be taken up a notch. uh, Reading through the book of Psalms, it will take you a long time, is a wonderful exercise. Because it's actually all kinds of different prayers. And some of the prayers that are prayed. In fact, I would say quite a few of them are surprisingly raw and praying prayers against people that are opposing you. In fact, if you read Psalm 1, there's this little hint in there about it. Psalm 2 is about why the nations conspire and the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up, rulers band together. Well, this isn't like the hallelujah, praise the Lord, everything's awesome. And then you get to Psalm 3, which says, Lord, how many are my foes? How they rise up against me. People are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And then it goes on to, Lord, would you smash the, my enemies? It says, Would you, it says this, would you break the jaw of my enemies and smash the teeth of the wicked? Like, did, did you know that's in the Bible? Like, the, could, could you imagine, like, reading along? Let's just open to some nice passage before dinner to pray real quick. Smash the teeth of the wicked, break the jaw of my enemy. You'd be like, uh, what is this doing in here? Who would write something like this? Let me give you one more example, then we'll come back to this same question. Psalm 68, it's it's one of the famous war psalms of the Bible. Psalm 68 opens with, May God arise, may his enemies be scattered, and may the foes flee amongst him. Uh, as, As wax melts before a fire, may you melt my enemies. It goes on to say, would you crush the heads of those who persecuting me? And then it goes on for maybe one of the, it's not the worst line in the Bible, like along these lines, but it's got to be up there. Top 10, verse 23 of Psalm 68 says, um, would, you, would your feet wade in the blood of your enemies while the tongues of the dogs have their share? Look at your neighbor and say, Yuck. Like it's, I mean, it's surprisingly gruesome. And to think like this was a song. Did you know that all the Psalms, uh, we have the lyrics, but all the Psalms were actually songs? Like people would sing this. Like what did that sound like? Like you're singing about waiting in the blood of the enemies and the tongues of the dogs, licking it up. Like this like what in the world? Who would write something like this? Do you know who would write something like this? People like you, people like me who are truly under the weight of oppression, who are truly either spiritually, literally, metaphorically being crushed. And some of you in here either do know or have known exactly what that is like. You've brought some of these prayers to the Lord You've brought these raw feelings. I think of there's a whole subgenre that's actually really popular today. So we, we look at the Bible, we read these lyrics, and we're like, well, "This is insane. Who would think this? Who would who would sing this?" But then, like you, you you turn on the radio and you listen to secular music, and there's this whole subgenre. You you will agree with me as soon as I say this about um like like wishing the worst on someone. Specifically, the genre is like during a breakup. Especially if the breakup involved like cheating there 's a whole subgenre very popular, like turn on your radio and just listen for it next time, like the subgenre of people singing like crushing, stinging lyrics against the pain that has been caused because of a breakup in some situation that has fallen apart like these are like these singers, the people that have written, written these lyrics, they can write these things and they can bring them out, and we can sing along with them in the radio. But as Christians, you know what we could do? We could do one step further. We could say these things as a prayer to the Lord, to someone who will actually do something with these feelings. So as I look at now this, this, this sermon, we, we've said when we have enemies, when we have opposition in our life, we, we first evaluate it and wonder how can we grow. Secondly, we give these feelings over to the Lord. And I want to be clear and say something here, because you might be very confused about some of the verses from the Psalms that I just read. Um, and that is, I, I don't think that these, like these war Psalms, these praying destruction on the enemies, I do not think these Psalms give us permission to not love our enemies. Rather, what they do is they give us permission to pray our true feelings. Amen? Amen. We can bring anything to the Lord and he will hear us. Well, what are we supposed to do with, with an enemy that we just can't stop thinking like we want them to stop? We want them. We want the worst on them. Well, does, do these Psalms give us permission to, to, to hate them? I would say no, but these Psalms do give us permission to bring that to the Lord. Because ultimately, if we look at the whole story of the Bible, Psalms included we would get to the point where Jesus speaks some very hard words. I think everyone would probably agree that the hardest thing ever said in scripture for us to do are the words where Jesus says to love your enemies. So this last point um, is point number three, love your enemies. Like, and this is not pretending that they didn't hurt you. This isn't just like, oh, I just, you know, with, with, a, with a wave of the wand, I just saying, oh, I forgive them. But this is truly bringing the pain, the hurt, the anger, the suffering to the Lord and praying that maybe one day there will be a place for you, yes, you, yes, me, to love even our enemies. Jesus says, It's, it's written in our Bibles. And if you have a red letter version of the Bible, these powerful words are written in red. Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, um, you've heard it said, the people long ago, uh, do not break an oath. I, ha- I have it here. You've uh, uh, heard it long ago. Love, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let me read that again. I think I had the wrong, uh, the, the wrong verse there. I have Matthew five forty three. You, you know these words, very hard words. Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. I'm going to enter now into a really kind of a, a painful, horrible story uh, about a, a truly like a horrible person in, in in our recent history. And and this being the Olympic headquarters, Colorado Springs, some of you may know more about this story than I do. I remember it coming out in the news that in 2016, um, it was it was said that there was this doctor who was the doctor for uh, gymnasts, uh, girls gymnast team, and he was being accused of horrible things, abusing the girls and, in, in ways that a man and little girls should should never interact. I mean, the, the stories, I will keep the, the details very brief, but just say that it was horrible. And, and when one woman came out, the very first woman to come out against this doctor, his name is larry nasser the the woman 's name was uh, Rachel de Hollander, and she came out uh, as as an adult woman saying that when she was a child, this man, who was a doctor in an exam room, abused her and, and took advantage of her and it was horrible and and she um, even at the time, like when she was a little girl. Uh, it, it came out later that other little girls mentioned this to other people, and people in leadership over this thing just kind of hushed it and swept it under a rug, which just makes the scandal even worse and more horrible that these girls weren't weren't ta- taken seriously, and it was just just horror on horror of how this story unfolded back in 2016. Well, that woman Rachel De Hollander uh, came forward. And, and she was the first to come forward in a, in a, in a media, in a newspaper, and once she did, other girls, other women who were girls at the time, came forward and said, he also did this to me. In total, 260-something women who, who were then girls came forward and said he did something like that to them. Just Horrible. Many of you know the story. I was this week just so in, just taken aback by the story, and of this person Rachel, who was who is a born again Christian believer, and she was the first to come forward, which is which was horrible. And she said all the reasons that she kept silent during those times: the shame, the worry, the exposure. Like, and then he she finally realized that it, he's still practicing, like to this day. And so if he if she didn't come forward, then maybe he would still be doing this. And um, I got to read her uh, autobiography this, this week. I listened to it. I downloaded it. And she, she talks about growing up as a Christian, a strong Christian. And then this, this event in her life is actually a series of events, series of doctor's events with this monster just, just totally changed her whole life. And she was never the same. And she, she struggled in all these different areas of her life. And she kept her faith. She kept uh, loving Jesus she comes forward, there's a court case, and here's, I tell that story just to get to this place now, where she stands before this man who assaulted her many, many times, and she looks at him and reads these words, and if I, if I can just prompt you, the words are very powerful and very emotional. The words are words where I see her giving the situation over to the Lord, and I see her Finding ways of bringing in God's grace and forgiveness, even in the midst of this horrible situation. So, these are the words of Rachel uh, de Hollander in the trial to Larry Nasser, this doctor who had abused her. She says this In our early hearings, you brought a Bible to the courtroom, and you have spoken about praying for forgiveness. And so, it's on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible, you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God Himself loving so sacrificially that He gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin He did not commit. By His grace, I too choose to love this way. The Bible speaks of a final judgment where all God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience this soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance, true forgiveness, from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well, powerful words words that she's she's giving someone who has destroyed her life uh, grace, mercy, an extension of of love like I, I I think of Jesus saying, "Love your enemies, and I just can't help but wonder like. Is this part of what that could look like, a situation so dismal and grisly that grace shouldn't be offered, but here it is being offered in a courtroom with God overseeing? And I wonder if, if all of us, if we, you know, the, the point one today was evaluate our, our own selves. If we're, we're true to that, I think in the depths of our own evaluation, we have to say we have hurt other people. We have been enemies to someone else. We've opposed them. We've, we've not always done what was right. We've done what was wrong. And we pray that that same grace that, that we, we know is extended to, to other people, we pray that that grace, that grace would be extended to us. I say that in a way like I think sometimes we, we feel like, oh, other people deserve God's grace. And, and some of us in here maybe at times feel like, I don't deserve God's grace. Well, let me tell you something None of us deserve God's grace. God's grace is, that's what grace is. It's it's his work on, on our behalf. And while we were yet sinners, a verse says, Christ died for us. So with these thoughts, would you bow your head with me? I'm going to invite the band to come forward for one last song. But would you bow your heads and would you go before the Lord? And I know many of you are at different places in this room right now and your thoughts and but, Lord, we pray to you now, and, and, Lord, we welcome you into the darkness of this world. We welcome you, your light, into the darkness of our lives. We have, all of us, fallen short. We, we've all done wrong to our neighbor. And so, Lord, we pray for your forgiveness. We pray for your mercy. We, we look to the cross at the center of this room, and we, we know the mystery of the cross is that you died because you didn't do anything wrong, but you died for us, for our sins to be covered by your mercy. And so, Lord, would you examine us? Would you help us? Some of us in here are in the midst of opposition and and thinking through an enemy that, that we have. Though we pray that you will cover us. We pray that your mercy, it will be new every single day. And Lord, now as we pivot to go to the table where we receive the mystery of grace, Lord, I pray you will be there in this moment your sweet mercy and your sweet grace we pray this in your name father son and holy spirit amen would you stand with me as pastor brett comes to lead us to the table
1: we come here each week to the table because we need it we're hungry and thirsty for God's sustaining presence with us. And so the church throughout the centuries has said, come to the table and receive it. And so if you're new, uh, you're invited to um, prepare to grab the elements they are in baskets near each of the rows of chairs. Go ahead and prepare um, to receive those elements. We celebrate an open table here at New Life. Um, the only prerequisite for coming to the table, we believe is um, what the scriptures teach: is that you are hungry for Jesus, that you are thirsty for grace, you are longing to be made new, and you are looking to Jesus as the one who can provide that for you. And so, Jesus, we are grateful. I'm not sure that I'm, uh, no, I'm positive. I'm not grateful enough. I'm not grateful enough that you um, prepare a table, not just in the presence of our enemies, but you prepare a table for your enemies, the people who have set their faces against you. That's us. That's us, and you feed us you care for us you wash our feet and we ask that you would um, melt our hearts that you would uh, crack open the stony hearts that we have um, in our chests and that you would um, give us Ezekiel said a heart of flesh that beats with love like yours does We remember, Jesus, that on the night you were handed over to suffering and death, you took bread. And having given thanks, you shared that bread with us, with your disciples. And you say to us, take, eat. This is my body, and it's for you. As often as you receive this, remember me. And so, Jesus, we remember you. We remember who you are, what you did long ago. We remember who you are right now today, in our midst right now, you are feeding us. That you are the great lover of our souls, that you love your enemies, those who would inflict death upon you. You say, okay, here, I'll give you my body and it's going to make you whole. And so with fear and trepidation, with gratitude and thanksgiving, we receive your life into us. We say, come Holy Spirit, get your love, your enemy love into us. You may receive the bread. Likewise, when supper was over, he took the cup. And having given thanks, he shared that cup with you. And he says, drink, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins, the remission of sins, the wiping away, the resetting, the embrace of you. I'm putting your sins aside and I'm embracing you. Making you new and making you clean. As often as you drink this, remember me. And so, Jesus, we um, we come to the table, and we recognize this open table is washing us clean, and washing even our enemies clean, because our enemies are not um, are not excluded from this table. You embrace all of us. And we ask that you'd wash us clean, make us new, and may your love course through our veins as we receive your cup. You may receive the cup. So Jesus, this picture, this symbol, this sacrament, we ask that this would not just be a moment that we pass by as a rote ritual or empty habit, but we ask that you would um, somehow in the mystery of grace, in the mystery of this um, world charged with your presence that we've been born into, we ask that you would get your life into us. We confess that we are dead in our hatred, and we ask that you'd make us alive in your love, not just your love for us, but your love for everyone. Get that into us, we ask, and we pray with gratitude and thanksgiving, because we know that you are going to do it. You are doing it in us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're making us alive. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, world without end. Amen and amen and amen. Friends, let's worship together in gratitude.
2: Too good. The shadow and to fade away
0: God who is in control of all and it's his kingdom that is coming and we can leave here although there's there's weight in here Lord we, we we can leave here with joy because we know that you are in control that you are making things right that in the end it'll all be made right that even our own sin Lord will be covered by by what you've done you will take it away and you'll give us grace and your mercy so Lord, we leave here with joy in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit And all God's people said, amen. Amen. If you want to come forward, we'll have a prayer team, myself and Brett included will be down here. I know we've talked about some pretty weighty things today. Come forward, we would love to. Join with you in prayer over anything going on in your life, maybe a healing, maybe you're asking the Lord for a situation or work or whatever. Come forward, we'd love to pray with you. If you're new or newish or just visiting in your baskets, uh, it's a welcome visitor card. If you've never filled one out, or you're maybe not sure if you filled one out, fill it out, give it to the nice people at the table as you leave. We have a gift to give to you today. And today is uh, a very special day, kind of a global outreach Sunday. We we put one of these on every single chair. We're announcing some short-term mission trips that we're inviting you to. So this one is specifically for New Life Manitou. There's several trips on the back here. And I would point your attention to the first one, which is a trip uh, in June to Nicaragua. That's a trip I will be leading and maybe hopefully some of you will come. It's open to all the New Life congregations, but I'll be going on this trip. It's a trip where we will be going door-to-door, house-to-house, telling people about Jesus. And they're not just like cold calls or cold knocks. These are people that want us to come. So they've they've reached out to the local church in Nicaragua and said, we would love to have someone come and visit and tell us about Jesus. So we're getting invited to people's homes in Nicaragua. And I, I just can't wait to, see, wait to see the fruit of this trip. So there's more information here about that. As you go today, can I pray a blessing over you? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.